0: Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Ajit, from Sunnyside Up, and we are back again with all new show. I have a very interesting topic to talk about, but before that, let me introduce the guest today. His name is Abhijit Patnaev. Abhijit is a data analytics and AI professional. Uh, he has really worked into multiple roles uh, and has been working with global customers across industries for the major part of his career. He's currently working as a sales professional and he's been catering to financial services, public sector and higher education in Australia, New Zealand as a geography. I would say that's his turf. So let's welcome today him on the show. Hello, Abhijit. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Ajit. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm good. How
0: about you? I am doing super good. Thank you so much for asking. I'm super excited because today we are going to talk about a very, very interesting topic and which is also related to human emotions also to an extent and which plays a very big role, I would say, when it comes to your sales and marketing initiatives. So we are going to talk with you today is about cognitive biases, uh, heuristic and decision making or behavioral change. So, before we get started, you know, uh, I would really say that why don't we start with something. Let's start with your journey so far.
1: Perfect. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much excited, uh, Ajit, as well. And uh, let me start with uh, how I've got to this point, right, in my life and my career. I have worked a major, a major part of my life in the space of data analytics and AI. Before coming into this role, uh, I was heading the data visualization practice within the organization that I work for, which is Wipro. And uh, as part of that role, I did get to work with a lot of senior decision makers, uh, all the way from being CIOs, CMOs, and the likes. So, and then that was spread all across the globe. So, right. And that gave me a lot of uh, exposure into how people decide. And what are the sort of biases, the kind of mental maps through which they get uh, to making a certain decision about uh, by looking at a dashboard or by looking at a report and so on and so forth. So that is where the curiosity in me developed that I should know about how different people think and how do we design to make sure that we're catering to each one of them and still giving the same message out from a dashboard, from a report, or whatever addition support mechanism the individual is using. So, right. post that, I got into this role in sales, uh, where I brought my focus <laughs> into financial services. Okay. And, and I'm trying and exploring how uh, data analytics and AI has different
0: kind of ramifications in the financial services space. Fantastic. First of all, I should also say a big thank you to you because while we were trying to uncover this whole topic, you shared some great insights uh, in our conversations. So I just picked up something from there and I would love to start from Dan Lockton. He says much human behavior can be seen as decision-making. And so understanding and influencing those decision-making process could be important component in uh, in design for a behavioral change. So on this particular thought, How would you define cognitive biases and how would you relate to organizational perspective? So great question there, Ajit. If you look at it, let me pick
1: an example, which is the best way of explaining a very subjective uh, topic, which is about cognitive biases. So let's pick up the example of uh, your dashboard in the car, which you look at all the time. right? So there are at least five or seven different biases that come into your mind or uh, that I can point out when you're looking at that small little dashboard and making decisions, right? So what we do is by default, we will look at it and we will say that uh, if the fuel is less, all I need to do is go to the fuel pump and reload the uh, fuel into the car, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't give a perspective to seeing and trying and understand if there are other failures that are happening. Right? Uh, if the engine is too right. hot, if there is some other thing that has failed in the engine, I just take, yeah, the fuel is over, I need to refill it. Right? So that is what biases are all about.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, very common sense. Okay. Right? So,
1: and uh, you also look at the speedometer and the RPM together. Right. So if your RPM goes up, you just change the gear. Right. And you bring the RPM down and the speed continues to go up without giving you too jerky moments, too many of those jerky moments, right? <laughs> uh, of course, true. you can do that a lot in uh, Bangalore. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> but, exactly.
1: I uh, having said that, yeah, so uh, so that is sort of another kind of bias which is called a framing bias, right? So where you look at two information together and come to a decision. right? And uh, if I try and extrapolate it into, uh, so when I say uh, this is how a bias occurs or how a bias builds in a human behavior, and the reaction that we give to it is sort of what heuristics are, right? So it's a natural reaction. It's a muscle muscle memory, right? That sets in your brain saying that yeah, this happens. This is what I do, right? So those are the sort of things that come into play whenever we are trying to make a decision, right? So now I'll try and extrapolate that into a dashboard, and so Absolutely. we do use a lot of uh, gauges when we create dashboards, right? So sort of a speedometer gauge, sort of a gauge, right? And we try and represent information using uh, those uh, gauges, right? So what happens there is if the gauge is low, by default, you make a mental assumption that it's bad. It's not good. This can't be good. Yes. But but that might not be the case because if you're looking at a metric which is supposed to be low, then, then the representation is absolutely wrong. But my judgmental bias is forcing me to think that it is low and it is bad. Right? So so that's, that's sort of a uh, way I'd like to explain how cognitive biases occur and how uh, we have uh, developed heuristics around addressing those uh, uh, biases. So that is what drives the action towards correcting these problems, right? Even in an organizational context, it has got a lot of, uh, if, if I have management looking at a dashboard, which is, Encouraging these biases to form, then oh. uh, we all are going to be uh, the scapegoats of what happens as the outcome of that, right? So, uh, so it is pretty much imperative that we build an organization and a working environment which neutralizes as many of these biases as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, uh, but I think the most important thing uh, would I would like to understand, of course the analogy that you gave so definitely makes sense because I was just trying to recollect back when I drive a car. I think this is what my biases are. Well, but you spoke about heuristics. So I would really like to understand from your perspective, what's really are these heuristics?
1: So think interesting question there, Ajit, in terms of uh, what heuristics are. Um, and uh, if I can put it that way, right? So the best way to Uh, maybe put it uh, as it is a reaction to the bias that we are building, right? So we spoke about one of the biases which was about framing biases when you look at your RPM and your speed and then you decide whether you need to shift a gear or not, right? Similarly and and that's when you're driving manually though, yeah. So and uh, similarly uh, there are different kind of biases as well, right? So if I can pick up one more example, uh, it is unit biases. It's where you believe that a million is a good number when it is in dollars, but a million right. is not really a good number when it comes to biases. It's a very minuscule amount when it comes to the number of biases in a place or in a particular sample. right? True. So that's how for each of the different kinds, so there are multiple kind of biases that build in a human's decision-making <laughs> process and heuristics is basically how he addresses that particular bias or that uh, that particular situation that he's gotten into right so it's sort of a m- muscle memory it's sort of a natural reaction to a particular bias that might exist so think of this being a action and a reaction right so where the action is the bias that builds up over a period of time and reaction being the heuristics or the way that problem is being solved, right? So, so, so that's that's how I put it uh, about how heuristics work and how they're related into the cognitive biases that get uh, that get
0: uh, gets built up over time. Got you. No, absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you know, explanation I would say, or also defining it rightly for us what heuristic is. Uh, well, if if I look at it from a holistic perspective of BG, uh, today with all the business intelligence, analytics, and decision support systems around. So where do you think are the potential gaps?
1: I believe we do a lot of thinking or we put a lot of thought process into a user experience. Right when it comes right. to building solutions around uh, creating a digital experience for your employees, creating a digital experience for your students, or creating a digital experience for your customers, but we don't realize in the process that it has got very deep and implicit effects to how the decision making is working. So, if you look at uh, the way business intelligence has evolved right so earlier i've seen it being management information system or mis where you just had yes. a lot of excel sheets floating around yeah and to make a decision <laughs> you basically need to look at four or four different excel sheets use the find use do things like pivot and stuff like that and True. then you get to And there were artists doing that,
0: right? So exactly, exactly. And those were the days.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you can say that because those things did not exist then, right? Absolutely. But uh, what did exist then was an individual's dependency of making sense out of that data, right? That eventually culminated, and we looked at uh, data modeling, right? Uh, Absorbing a lot of that information and then presenting a report which is succinct, which was very precise in the information that it was delivering. But still, it did not solve that solve the logic problem. Then we got into what is being called today as dashboards, right? So yes. dashboards yes. or visualizations, the likes of Tableau, the likes of uh, ClickView, Power BI, are all in that space right now. Now the problem has changed. So earlier, there was only a limited set of data. Now the volume of data has grown, right? So now the question is more about trust right so if somebody has prepared a certain dashboard can i trust the source of data that is picked up is wow, it the single source of the truth or not yeah, right? and uh, then it's gone a bit further into becoming a search-based data discovery uh, mechanism right so where i just key in like a google search what is the sales for the last two years and then it pops up and creates a dashboard for you, and saying, and it uh, comes up and says, "This is what uh, sales is," and it will pick up a few different analysis on its own, put it across to you, saying that this is what your information is. So the likes of Looker, the likes of ThoughtSpot have gotten into that space, which has now become what is being called search-based data discovery. Right. So, so that being said, uh, the whole system has changed the underlying foundation of how the system was working has changed. The amount of consumerism that's come in, right, uh, is changed, right? So towards a decision maker. So everybody wants to add things to the cart and then compare, right? Can you do that when you're making a decision? Yes, you can. That is possible, right? So, wow. uh, so those are the kind of things uh, or this is how the thing has evolved. And obviously, the uh, in the process of evolution, Uh, there has been gaps that have been formed right so and then when I say gaps uh, I essentially mean the gaps between the data being provided and the decision maker right so while he's just looking at uh, it in front of his laptop but there is a huge gap that is there between what he's looking at and what I have presented as a visualization engineer right so So that's where uh, uh, and majority of that gap is towards not understanding the decision-making process, towards not understanding the domain in which we have created that dashboard, right? Not trying and understanding the persona of the person who is trying to make a decision or trying to make a sense out of that dashboard. So these are some of the areas, which is a combination of behavioral aspects a combination of business understanding of why a dashboard or report or, an, uh, or a business intelligence interface if i can put it that way has been created so 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 i so that's that's probably my thought process around or my understanding around how this has evolved or this is evolving
0: uh, this continues to evolve very fast right so yeah. and I, I it's it's been changing very fast as you rightly said you know Bijit, because Uh, you got me to the days back of those excel sheets where we were the masters and today when i look at this Mm -hmm. whole data science aspects of it or the card example that you gave yeah of course i mean the whole analogy or the way we used to think has been completely changed and of course this whole pandemic has got to the next level i think that's a that's a one of the new opportunities that we've been looking forward to well you spoke something about data, data visualization. So my next question to you would be uh, in how organization can use data visualization techniques to understand the cognitive and heuristics for better decision making?
1: a uh, good question again so and and uh, there is obviously no very straight answer to how this can be done obviously because it is something which is to do with psychology and it's uh, <laughs> it's more of a science which is not exact in nature right so
0: right
1: uh, but what has happened in the past is a lot of people have given a lot of thought into how this can be uh, resolved right And the one that makes the most sense to me as an individual is, uh, if I can put it, uh, crisis conversational matrix or maxims. Sorry, if I can put it. uh, So that's what it is. Crisis conversational maxims. So all it says is just be honest about your information. Right. Say, (laughs) give, uh, give exactly the right amount of information that is required. Mm-hmm. give it truthfully right you, you don't have to put bars instead of line charts because it makes you look better put it honestly right and uh give it in the right uh manner right so you don't clutter too much information in one place sort of like that right so i'm putting it very loosely but if you go through and read about crisis conversational maxims it makes a lot of sense into how visualization has to be done right And uh, a lot of us uh, don't uh, think the way data is being communicated is a big deal, right? So we have all gone into say, yeah, Power BI is pretty easy; anybody can build a dashboard. But it's not uh, the same case when you are looking or you're making millions of worth of decision by looking at a dashboard, right? So and and believe me, it's a fact; people do it, right? And and there are very and there are very uh, good, uh, or it's it's probably a very niche skill that you would find in the market of people who bring together uh, the human uh, context, the business context, and the technical context together to create the best form of interface to deliver information to you. Right. So and and uh, given the volume of data, it becomes even more challenging to present it in a succinct way. Right. And uh, and in you know in a very defined way, right so the second point from there uh, the first one about was about Grice's conversational maxims. the second one is about uh, building dashboards and visualizations very interactively so that the biases itself themselves do not form in the first place, so your dashboards are dynamic, your dashboards are interactive right so unless until unless you have interacted with that app, you don't know what is coming out of it, right? So uh, that's, that's how uh, it's being built. Outside of this, the third uh, is, aspect that I've seen coming in very handy is building a lot of standardization into how you're building dashboards and visualizations. Having very clearly defined ideas or uh, methods of building dashboards and visualizations. So a lot of, I would, I would name a few of these organizations which have uh, done path-breaking work around building this uh, these standards, right? So one, one of it is called IBCS, IBCS, who are pretty way ahead in terms of how they have used the third approach to make visualizations impactful, right? And uh, then there is uh, organizations like Perceptual Edge, Uh, Then there are individuals like Stephen Pugh who have done a lot of work into making these uh, or making a point that this is important. In the whole uh, data to uh, decision value chain, it is important that we know about these things.
0: Very well said and very well crafted, I would say. Well, I think the the next immediate question that that comes to my mind is how would you relate cognitive biases, heuristic, with the current changed environment that what we see right now? Because, yeah, I think this is what it is today, right? So, what are your quick thoughts on this?
1: So again, I'll I'll use the best uh, form of things that I do. Right? I'll I'll use an example. Great. So let's just uh, take the example of a stock exchange. No, wait, maybe stock exchange is not the best example. So maybe if I am somebody in procurement and I'm trying to make some kind of decision, the way I have built a certain uh, dashboard or a certain set of information that I look at before making an information, it becomes sort of a way of life, right? So you go into the office, you ask what, what are the numbers, right? And then somebody just comes across and tells you it is 27... Uh, 48 and 30. And you instantly understand what that means because you have been living that life all along, right? So you know that 47 is the uh, level I have in the inventory, Uh, 37 is the backlog percentage, and maybe 28 is something else, right? So you, you build a very clear mindset around how this has been built, and those numbers mean sense to you, right? Now come the change in the environment that has happened. So you don't work in an office environment. You don't uh, go and ask and have those, uh, uh, you know, water cooler side conversations or a coffee conversation or maybe uh, just a smoke break for all you know, right? So <laughs> so yeah. all that doesn't happen now, right? And and it becomes, so the whole perspective of individual decision-making is becoming more important, right? So you you're not part of the individual decision-making process. It earlier you were, because you know he's going to look at this. I need to twist that information in the way that makes uh, uh, sense for me, right? Uh, so those are not happening. You're not part of the decision-making process of the individual who is making that decision anymore. So that's where uh, dashboards, visualizations, the decision-making process uh, itself is become very personalized, right? So that's where it falls upon... Uh, us to understand that this change has happened, to, to internalize that this change has happened, right? And then try and make provisions that even if an individual is making decision, it is still accurate, right? It's not being lost because he's, the, the number of decision makers has changed in the mind of the individual, right?
0: Okay, got you. Very, very nice. Very nice. Okay, I think uh, uh, then the question comes is like, as a sales leader, where do you find this cognitive biases? You using it, or what differences that does make to you, or in your role, basically in general, I would say.
1: <laughs> so you, you're
0: asking me for a trade skill that I'll not give up easily.
1: <laughs> so and I think
0: that's that's the secret we want people to know, or the subscribers to know.
1: <laughs> yeah, probably. So so I guess it's a, a very long process, right? Uh, trying and. Uh, making it or putting it into uh, productive use that really benefits you, right? So, uh, as a as a sales individual, you have to understand. So, I know a lot of sales, most or any sales person would know that the way decisions are made, it's never one person right, who is making a decision. It's a series of or a number of people who are making a decision in, in in a certain scenario. And the whole process of sales is a very emotional process. It's not something where you go and sell something and it's just a transaction that needs to be closed. But it's a very emotional process, right? And being an emotional process, the cognitive things come into play a lot because that is how a person makes a judgment, right? And things like your body language, things like, uh, the way you communicate, the way you greet people, every single detail, right? So makes an impression or triggers a particular heuristic uh, uh, behavior in the person that you're interacting with, right? So uh, it's it's a process that we need to all be uh, cognizant of. We need to be very thoughtful about understanding and comprehending that these these factors are also at play. Right, And and it's obviously a very long process in terms of you using it uh, to manifest a certain outcome in your favor or in against a, a particular decision. Right. So uh, right. I'm still, if I can put it very candidly, I'm still learning. I have internalized that these are there are multiple other factors in a sales process that come into play. and And we need to all be very informed and very aware of the fact that this is happening so i guess that's yeah. the first step and then then you go from there onwards and you start manifesting outcomes out of trying and balancing out those uh, beliefs that uh, exist in
0: addition making process very true very true thank you so much abhijit i think this was you know this was super exciting super insightful i would say uh, to understand how does this really work what's happening how can we really imply into the current situation and most important, how do we get the sales right? <laughs> You're the master of it. I would still say that. Well, uh, I think apart from this, Abhijit, uh, what's what's happening? What's Is there any new hobby, any book that you would like to recommend to our subscribers out there who are listening to you? Uh,
1: there's a nice book that I have read uh, uh, very lately called um, A Brief History of Tomorrow. And, uh-huh. and, and it's an excellent book which brings into perspective how the changes that have happened was or is leading to a tomorrow that we would have never thought about right and it opens up a lot of the thought process so that's a good book uh, that I picked up lately I'm planning to read a few more that I have in my wish list so and I'm hoping that I'll get time uh, to read them as well <laughs> right. uh, being in a new place I picked up new hobbies as well uh, so in a new place and uh, we so luckily here the COVID situation has improved so we can go out to the beaches, we can do things that we love. Awesome. And yeah, and yeah, it's been a fun time.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's good. But yeah, I think overall, I would say uh, COVID really made our life changes basically. So and I'm glad that uh, you are at a very safe place and things are looking pretty good at your end. So, well, thank you so much for this insights. Uh, There's always more to catch up and more to learn or more to ask, I would say. Uh, But for today and for this particular conversation, I really thank you so much to be on my show. It was superb talking to you. And, you know, we should continue talking. Any parting thoughts, any shout outs that you would like to give? Maybe people would like to understand more from you. If you're okay, why don't you just share some parting thoughts, LinkedIn profile, So uh,
1: people, you can all connect with me on my LinkedIn profile, which is my name, Abhijit Patnaik, and I work for Wipro, and that's where uh, you can find me. And I do have a regular blog that I put on Wipro's uh, site where I put across some of these thoughts uh, so that uh, a lot of audience can go and read through it. uh, you're most uh, most welcome to read through that and give me feedbacks. And if you have done something interesting, just post it uh, to me and I would be more than happy to learn from uh, the experience. So, and and thanks Ajit for having me on this show. I think this is a very good experience for me. And I guess this is a brilliant platform to share thoughts of individuals, uh, especially during these times when you, electronic media is probably the best source of
0: entertainment very now. true very true very true no it's been an honor actually Abhij. thank you so much again thank you everybody out there who's listening out to us uh also most important stay safe stay healthy take care of yourself and take care of your loved ones thank you so much signing it off bye-bye thanks for joining us on this episode of sunny side up if you like what you heard Please subscribe, rate and review us and share these insights with your peers.